What's up, everybody? Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to Hail Yes, a Detroit Free Press podcast about the University of Michigan Athletics. I'm Tony Garcia, Michigan beat writer for The Free, joined by Reiner Sabin, as always, our Big Ten insider. And Reiner, I'm pretty sure this is when I get to just take the episode off, right? Week seven, now in the books. It is officially rivalry week, or uh, as Michigan calls it, state week. And my friend, perhaps nobody in this state uh, is more in tune simultaneously with these uh, two programs. So I think I'll let you take it away. Well, Tony, I don't think anybody needs to be an expert to know that uh, Michigan and Michigan State are in completely different places right now. So I think, uh, you know, obviously uh, this last week um, bared that out once again. And uh, so I don't know if there's going to be much drama in East Lansing in about seven days. Yes, who knows? I was really just trying to find a way for you to do the work um, since you cover these both programs and I do one. But I suppose I will do some, although hopefully not too much, because, Reiner, I don't know if you saw what I put on my Twitter machine, X, the social media interwebs, whatever you call it. Yesterday, went to urgent care, uh, got Mm -hmm. tested for strep throat, flu, COVID, mono. All negative, so perhaps, I guess, I don't know, maybe it just means I'm soft. But I'm just saying it because with that and the the rivalry week, I mean, with that being your area of expertise, I just figured I'd just let you handle it. Well, we're uh, we're all playing hurt a little bit. I mean, I had a bit of a cold last week, too, so uh, still in recovery mode. So I'm hoping to be at full strength by the time. Uh, Michigan and Michigan State kickoff at 7.30 in East Lansing, a rare night game, uh, especially uh, in Spartan Stadium, although they played obviously at night at Michigan Stadium last year. Right. They have twice in Ann Arbor. This will be the first time in East Lansing. And I'm kidding. Nobody cares about a little cold. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we will move on. And so, all right. Uh, so still, as always, lots to get to. We're going to start with three things uh, that we learned against Indiana. Um Essentially, that it is time to start looking at this team in terms of history, uh, not just against its opponents. Um, Michigan's young players, uh, just the invaluable experience they're getting as Michigan continues to rack up these uh, lopsided victories. And then uh, as Jim Harbaugh uh, heaped praise onto his coaching staff in the in the postgame press conference, um, there was an interesting uh, comment from the sidelines from Ward Manuel. So what to make of that exchange. Then after the break, as we said, rivalry week, um, can't get too into the weeds about it because obviously that's what the rest of our show uh, on Thursday will be about. Um, but never too soon to, to start looking at a game uh, that really, uh, I mean, I mean that, <laughs> when you think about how that game ended last year, Reiner, to think of it, about how far the, the tenor has shifted around it is uh, – I, I don't know if, if you would have thought this is sort of the vibe surrounding it going in, you know, just kind of, it's just kind of there. Yeah. I don't, I think it's kind of stuck up on people too. Uh, you know, I mean, in the years past, there's been a bye week you know, before the game and, you know, there's a lot of build up, I guess, to it, especially uh, obviously going into 2021, less so in 2022. And there's absolutely no buzz going into this year uh, basically just because, you know, the team, two teams, again, are in totally different places at this at this juncture. Right, right. No, that, that is certainly there's factors at play as to why it just feels like <laughs> here it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get there, uh, Michigan just beat down Indiana. Uh, they, they decided to spot them seven points in the first quarter, um, but that was still not enough. Michigan scored 52 in a row uh, to end it. And so Reiner, 
of course we can do it feels like we've had a lot of these shows right michigan beats an inferior team what do we talk about um but eventually when you just continue to do it over and over and over to this level there is something that needs to be said about it does not matter how bad i mean maybe it matters how bad they are but michigan gets its flowers uh to 19th straight win uh in in the big 10 the longest streak since 1990 92 uh I was I was born in 93. I meant like that weird age where like I just turned 30. So I'm not young, but I'm definitely not old. And whenever there's a stat that happened before I was old, I'm like or before I was born, I'm like, "All right, that's like that's been a little bit of time now." And I mean just Michigan is is making history. Yeah, they're doing obviously taking care of business just as uh, Michael Barrett kind of explained. Uh they're in the butt kicking business and uh business is booming. That's what that's he said. That's not what he said. That's uh, not what he said. Uh, that's what he said <laughs> in, in more mild terms. But yes, I mean, the, the, you know, this is kind of a historic run and uh, Michigan should be, you know, proud of what it has accomplished over these last couple of years. I think it's partially because they've got their systems in place. It's very established. Again, this is year three and Jesse Binter, uh, Mike McDonald, Baltimore Ravens defense, uh, the Michigan offense, went back to what it was good at uh, pre-Josh Gaddis speed and space uh, experiment that kind of uh, blew up in their face in 2020. And so, uh, you know, and they have their best quarterback of the Jim Harbaugh era. And when you have an elite level quarterback, uh, you can win a lot of games. And so Michigan, it's a combination of all these factors that have led to all this success. And then you have to also especially this year, point out that, you know, the Big Ten is a bit down uh, this year. And so, like, 11 teams are arguably pretty mediocre uh, to downright bad. And so, uh, with only Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan really kind of carrying the flag for the conference. Right. And Michigan cannot play itself um, other than in practice, which is how it continues to to, to rise to these levels above. Right. And, um, and it's just when you continue – I mean, not that Michigan is ever going to not like overlook Michigan State, but in case there was any reason for Michigan to not have any reason, every reason, excuse me, to really want to, I mean, uh, I don't know, pound Michigan State, like really just make, make a statement. It is that Michigan has also won 22 straight regular season games. The last time they lost in the Big Ten and the last time they lost in the regular season was in East Lansing in 2021, right? I mean, they have they have circled circled the wagons, gone gone through everybody um, to get back to this spot, um, and then and then I believe I haven't looked it up, but I am pretty sure once if Michigan like I didn't look up all the the little ones like the Purdue and the Illinois, but they won the last time they were at Ohio State um, and at Penn State, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I think maybe Madison, but. Michigan State, certainly in the East, will have beaten every single Big Ten team uh, at their place the last time they played them, right? So, I mean, home, away, just Michigan just sort of pounding its drum is, is what it is what it's hoping to do. Yeah, and, you know, winning is a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You win and then you gain more confidence and you win some more. And uh, the, te- the team, uh, again, is playing with a bravado – and that's seen in some of the comments we, we, you know, we've heard recently from the players. They want to be a bully. You know, they really feel like they're they're the kings of the 
kings of the block, so to speak, uh, in the in the Big Ten, and and deservedly so. I mean, they they have ruled the Big Ten each of these last two years, and you know look extremely formidable this year. So uh, it's an impressive run, and uh, you know again credit to the program for you know particularly rallying after that Michigan State loss. I mean, they could have folded a little bit after that, uh, but then they scored their biggest win in recent program history when they beat Ohio State 42 to 27. And that changed the entire narrative about Michigan football. I mean, after that loss to Michigan State, a lot of people thought, well, this is going to be the same old Michigan. They're going to they're going to fold down the stretch and they're going to lose the big games. And in this case, they upended Ohio State. And ever since then, Michigan has kind of continued that to grow stronger and more imposing. Yeah, I mean, everything went pretty much the exact opposite of since then on what happened that day, right? Everything has gone in the exact opposite direction. That was Michigan State's last highest high, and that was certainly Michigan's last uh, lowest low, not counting the pain of like a A playoff playoff loss, right? But I mean, like a real low moment where you have questions about this program, about this coaching staff, um, what sure. have you. And just, and just a few more stats, just uh, as we uh, finish up, how um, even in this low Big Ten, Michigan just continues to put up history. It's 10 straight games where they scored 30 points, uh, dating back to last season. Uh, that it was, <laughs> They set a program record last week when it was nine straight, and now they are just uh, extending it. And for the first time, they have uh, scored 45 or more points against a Big Ten team. Uh, in three consecutive weeks. So, I, I mean, and as they continue to do this, the added benefit is, I mean, how many young players are contributing to it, right? Like the starters are just doing it for the first three quarters. J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum had touched the ball four times in the fourth quarter this season. Four times. Yeah, I mean, I wrote about this last week. Uh, you know, the same thing was happening at Alabama when I was covering them during their peak was the fact that they were putting teams away early and that allowed them to play some of the backups and younger players, uh, you know, quite quite often and uh, for a, a good amount of time, which allowed them to build up experience that was very useful in the coming years. And it kind of, again, created a cycle of dominance where, they were the ones that eventually were beating up on those teams, which allowed the younger players to continue to play. And these kind of victories, the blowouts, shouldn't be taken for granted because, again, they are somewhat of program builders. They're giving these younger players valuable reps and experience that they can take back to practice and use and see what they did right, what they did wrong, and apply that in practice. And now they have a baseline of comparison against other opponents to be able to assess where they really stand. And it's not just, you know, simply doing the drill work in practice right, where right. You, you're not totally getting a firm idea about where you really stand, stand or measure up. This was a real, this is a real opportunity to get a uh, real time game experience and go against other competition, not knowing maybe what they're going to try to do and how they're going to try to defend you or, or try to attack you. So it's a, uh, it's actually really, really beneficial. And again, I saw the same thing at Alabama play out. You're right. And it's one thing to do it in a controlled environment and practice um, when you are adjusting the settings, right? It is a whole nother thing to do it in live time when you're just trying to, I mean, and I mean, in, in the heat of battle, so to speak, and you, and you got to make all the decisions on the fly. And 
What it does, I mean, in addition to these, the reps and the valuable experience, it ages you, but not in a bad way, in a good way, right? Like, does Mason Graham feel like he's only seven games into a sophomore year? How about Will Johnson? How about Kenneth Grant? You know what I mean? Like these guys as freshmen who were really like, and yes, they were at a different level, some of them, right? Like they were really right. impacting. But I mean, look, like now let's let's turn it to, to, to this year, right? Samaj Morgan. I mean, both of his touchdowns, which was more impressive. I don't, I don't know. I mean, yesterday that was he, he catches a seven-yard screen pass, breaks three, four tackles in a phone booth, and then plows through a defender at the goal line. I mean, that's that that was serious business. Benjamin Hall. Um dude, like, and yes, he got he got the reps because Kalal Mullings uh was out. And you hate to be a prisoner of the moment, but as a rusher, just a runner, I like what I liked what I saw in the fourth quarter yesterday from Ben Hall more than anything I've seen from Donovan Edwards all year. I I I mean I I I seriously think that highly of him. Um even in the, in the spring game, do you remember in the spring game? Oh, yeah, he, he, looked, he yeah, was yeah. he was popping off, mm-hmm. and yes, of course, so was Peyton O'Leary. We haven't seen from him, and and we you you hear about things in, in the spring game, and that doesn't always come to fruition. But yesterday, I mean, he was shifty, he was patient. Uh, he had like the longest run of the day, like a 19 yarder in the in the fourth quarter, where he was really patient, and then bounced it outside around the left around the left end. Um, Keon Sab. The safety, um, yes, he got beat on the double move. That was, I thought, not good. That was very poor eye discipline. Makes up for it late. I mean, but he's young. It's going to happen. Makes up for it later in the game with an interception. Second straight game with a pick. He returned one for a touchdown uh, the last week. So, I mean, it just keeps going. Well, I mean, you have to put it into context. The, these guys are coming into advantageous situations where things are taken, uh, where, where the starters have put them in position where the the opponent is beaten down and and kind of going through the motions trying to get to the very end of the game still it's it's a it's it's good for their confidence to have success again you know building up these reps and seeing results immediately so in that sense i think it is uh incredibly good for ben hall for samaj morgan and uh you know the Frederick Moore and those younger players. I mean, the same way you saw it with Derek Moore last year. I mean, he was getting some run late in games and and kind of joining the sack party when uh, teams were in a vulnerable situation where they had to they had to throw the ball to, and <coughs> Michigan pin his ears back and go after them. And and in this case, uh, you know, again, they they're benefiting from the circumstances that are at foot, but it, it again feeds the confidence of the players and gives them more experience uh, that's going to be useful down the line. Yeah. And I think one reason that, and and, then it's all true, but, and the reason that Michigan is seeing this production, I think, and one reason that at all these, I mean, listen to who we just mentioned, right? We're talking about defensive linemen. We're talking about defensive backs. We're talking about wide receivers. We're talking about running backs, right? Like, I mean, talent spread all over the board. And as Jim Harbaugh spent, I didn't have the timer on it exactly. It must have been at least a five-minute diatribe straight yesterday, um, just lauding his coaches uh, up one side and down the other. Um, and uh, and and here's one quick question I, I, I wanted to, to get your answer from before we turn it to sort of the interaction between Jim and Ward as we wanted to. Is there a chance that we misassessed 
<laughs> I think there is a chance, but I mean, are you willing to say that we did misassess the handling of Jim's decision and how to handle those first three games uh, with, with, with the with the coaching shuffle and all, and all of that that was going on, sort of like the year before? Uh, I mean, I I'll tr- I will try not to use revisions history. I thought that I, I did not think Jim handled the Cade and JJ thing properly or like going into the season. I was like, I don't really like that idea of naming two different starters. Now we know it's this Michigan method thing and, and all of that. Right. But I mean, if you remember after, th- after week three, when again, they didn't, when they didn't look good against Bowling green and it's like, man, they're going into big 10 play and they haven't hit their stride. We were talking about like, I think they probably should have just gone with one guy. Did we misassess that? I don't think so. I don't think the two have anything to do with each other. I think it's the fact that Jim Harbaugh is back and they have their full complement of assistants uh, coaching each of their position groups. And you can make an argument. The, the counter argument would be that they've gotten a lot better since you know Harbaugh's back and they're you know carrying out their roles as as they were uh, delineated uh, before this whole situation even ar- arose. So I think the fact is is that. Michigan does has a very good coaching staff. This is probably Jim Harbaugh's best coaching staff. The coaching staff has been better since he changed out a specific, specifically his defensive staff and went you know younger in certain positions. And I think that's again contributed to the culture uh, that's so strong at Michigan. There's more uh, player coach interaction, I think, uh, and there's more. Uh, collective uh, communication between the two, uh, you know, parties, I guess, between player and coach. And I think that's uh, benefited Michigan throughout this run. Uh, It's definitely more interactive. The players have indicated that they've said the culture has been really good, obviously, since 2021, when they, uh, when Harbaugh decided to change up his coaching staff and it was necessary and they, I bet they've reaped the rewards of it and it's credit to Jim Harbaugh for recognizing that he needed to change that to get better. And uh, he's been able to identify some really good coaches in the process and uh, they've only helped uh, Michigan get better and better over the last couple of years. And there's, there's the big names that we know, right? The, the Jesse mentors, the Sharon Moores, uh, Mike Hart, um, Jay Harbaugh, I, I suppose, but also, I mean, what he's wanted to get down to is even more the the position coaches as well. And uh, I thought I thought now things that Jim says as all coaches must be taken with a grain of salt, right? You need to always make sure you're interpreting the messages that they're that they're getting across because sometimes there there are rhymes and reasons for saying things in certain ways and at certain times, right? So that I just want to put that caveat there. But that aside, uh, I was moved um, or. I, I, I took notice to what he said about Grant Newsom and his ability uh, sitting up in the press box to diagnose what defenses are doing, their hedges, their shifts uh, in live time. And I guess I just just how much of, a, of an impact he has on, on Michigan's decisions, adjustments. And although that maybe that shouldn't be that surprising, because as they say, tight ends – and, and coaching tight ends and tight ends is arguably the toughest position in football, right? You're expected to block like a, you need to understand all the pass blocking concepts of the line, the route tree of the, of the wide receivers and do them all at, at, at the highest level. And so 
Um, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, uh, but I was. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, he's uh, he's ident- he's been identified as a, a young up and coming coach. Uh, you know, I think he also uh, went out of his way to credit Steve Klinkscale, who I think is again very important to the. Uh, the culture that has been established. Uh, he's well-liked by the players. He's also a very effective communicator, good coach. Um, you know, in fact, I was somewhat surprised that he wasn't included amongst the coaches when they were, uh, when Jim Harbaugh was, you know, suspended and he gave the, the opportunities to four coaches he did. You can make an argument that Steve Klinkscale deserved that as much as anybody. I think he's had a very positive impact. Again, uh, the way that they're playing the zone defense right now, uh, zone coverage, uh, they're really on point. Uh, Michigan's now making plays on the ball that they haven't done in years. Uh, and it's uh, made Michigan's defense look much more lethal than uh, you know it's been since, I mean, probably going back to 2016, 2017, those years. Uh, uh, when, when Michigan had a really talented secondary. And I think uh, the, this secondary is really uh, improved under under S- Steve Klinkscale's coaching. And so I think he's he's one to identify for sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Jim Harbaugh flat out said it. He said the secondary has never been better. And you know how he says, like, he's like, I don't like to make comparisons. It's not all, he, I mean, he just said it. He said the secondary has never been better than it is right now. Um, and, and you're right. And then, I mean, even like Sharon Moore, right? I, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Everything you said about about uh, Clint, Clint Scale is 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 spot, is spot on, and uh, and I do think if <laughs> had there been one more game, right, or or maybe split another half, but he wanted to give each of his coordinators a game, and then he wanted to split the halves with Hart and Harbaugh. So there was there was only so many time to go around, but I do think Clint Scale uh, was next in line. Uh, but then even what I mean, not sure on more. Uh, Ron Bellamy. Wide receivers coach. There we go. Um, and, and, and just the job he's doing with, with some of the young freshmen. As a unit, they had 15 touchdown receptions last year. They have 13 already in seven games, right? And um, and yes, I mean, and and that's also a credit to, I mean, this is his first year calling plays, right? Um, Matt, Matt Weiss is out. And so they're, they're doing these things uh, on, on the fly. Reiner, you look like you're like you're smiling, like. The cynic in me wonders why he's, you know, again, keeps singling out the coaches. It's like, are you preparing for the inevitability that you're going to leave and need another job? I mean, I don't know. It is weird. I mean, he's done this multiple times uh, going back to June when he was identifying like there's every assistant coach, you know, can be uh, a head coach here. And it seems like, He's he's been lobbying for his coaches to get jobs elsewhere, which is which seems weird. I mean, in the sense that, but I mean, again, credit to him for again supporting his staff to the point that he would be okay with them uh, trying to advance their careers elsewhere. Right, and and that's why I said a few minutes ago, like you do need to take what he says with a grain of salt and understand, and and, and not just take everything at face value. However. I do agree. It is a little cynical. I do think he is very proud of his staff. Um, if we're just saying it is just to to posture, right? I don't think it's just that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think. I mean, the it, it all blends together, and I think that is. And I think part of the reason 
that we are wondering about what, what all the messaging sort of means uh, is the comment made by Ward Manual afterwards, right? As Jim is, uh, is praising his coaches and he's about to leave the stage, right? Then Ward Manuel, who's who's always in in the in the room in the press conferences, he always stands in the corner, never says anything. The last time he did was actually last year, Michigan State post game tunnel, but that was a, a, a different thing entirely. Other than that, he's never spoken up mm-hmm. until yesterday. Uh, Jim's about to leave, and he goes, "Hey Jim, you uh, forgot to m- mention one of the coaches. That was mm-hmm. a great job by you." And mm-hmm. Jim goes, "Oh, thanks, Ward. Um, what did you think of that?" I thought the comment was a little bit forced, again, because Ward Manual generally stays silent. And obviously the optics right now are that, well, why hasn't Ward given Jim Harbaugh the extension? A lot of fans are clamoring for that. Uh, they want some resolution on that matter. And uh, much has been made of the the uh, rumored friction between the two. Uh, I don't know if it's as severe as people make it out to be yet it's it's there and it's been a constant theme for the last couple years dating back to when you know Harbaugh was handed that pay cut following the 2020 season and then uh the job interviews and the last two off seasons so uh it was interesting that Ward Manuel would try to pipe up at that moment and you know show some appreciation maybe to try to shift the attention away from the idea that he's uh, maybe against Jim Harbaugh. Maybe he wanted to get it out there that you know, he's in, you know, eager to get this extension done. He, you know, told another publication that he wanted to get the extension done. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. Again, some of Harbaugh's comments have been in- weird and it could be interpreted in a lot of ways. I thought it was odd that he brought up Caleb Williams in that press conference uh, saying that he's just as good as JJ McCarthy. Why would he say that? You know, I guess, a, again, a cynic or a person, a conspiracy theorist would say that, well, maybe he's doing that because, you know, there's an NFL job uh, that he takes and usually the NFL jobs that are open are the ones that have the highest draft picks. And well, Caleb Williams is going to be on the board probably at one or two. So, uh, so would he be wanting to draft him and, uh, you know, and be held to his comments that, J- J- you know, that J.J. McCarthy is the best quarterback in college football when you could possibly inherit Caleb Williams? I don't know. Well, those I mean, are those are easy comments, I, I think, I think, to walk back or to understand. Right. Right. I He's agree. Not have to defend agree. that should he leave. But I thought it was very weird and strange and that he's particularly used that Arizona game as a as a reason for, for saying that, because I don't even think that was his best performance or anywhere close to his best performance that you would make that, that comment or go out of your way to praise Caleb Williams in that moment. But it, you know, who knows? I mean, it's hard to enter Jim Harbaugh's head. You never know what he's thinking, but some of these comments are interesting and lead you to wonder. Yeah, certainly. And you're much better about making sure you're always thinking about what things mean uh, and, and and looking two steps ahead than I, but um, but I'm not sure. Like, part of me did just think that, like, I don't know why Ward would want to. He is not the type to interject himself into something. He stays out of things, right? And so that's where I have a little hesitation or uncertainty about if he's trying to like 
ease the tension in the room, right? Like, I just, that doesn't seem his style, right? There's been tension in the room for years. He doesn't care, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, he's just doing what he's doing. And, and I'm not saying that that's good or bad. I'm just saying I don't think that was it. But maybe it's come to a head. Maybe he's getting pressure from, you know, above. I mean, we're, you know, there has to be, there's some people that want uh, Harbaugh to be locked down or, uh, and so maybe Ward Manuel also wants to you know, basically uh, dispute the narrative that's out there that he's not supportive of Jim and that he's not appreciative yeah. of, of the run that Michigan's been on and, and such and w- wanted to get that, get that out there that, you know, he is, he is happy with what's been going on and uh, you know, he'd like to uh, and he, and he does, have gratitude for what Harbaugh has has accomplished in these last couple of years. So uh, it's it, it was interesting. I don't know. I mean, if it was anything more than an idle comment, but it certainly came across that way because again, the guy rarely speaks. He he does he does. And when and and when he does, you need to. It's worth thinking about what it means, or if it was, or if we're just doing the media thing and making something bigger than it is. Who knows. Um, I think that's a good place to leave that because uh, we have some bills to pay. And then on the other side, uh, it is the rivalry game. And uh, Reiner, you've had the great misfortune of uh, needing to watch all of Michigan State's season. Uh, you can walk us through uh, how the Spartans have gotten to where they are. Uh, that's next. This is Hail Yes. All right, Reiner, it is that time. Rivalry week is upon us. Michigan, Michigan State set to battle uh, in East Lansing at Spartan Stadium, 7.30 p.m. Saturday. Now, the last time these two teams were on the field or near a field, uh, there was quite the kerfuffle uh, in the tunnel. I don't know if that's where we want to start. I don't know if we want to start uh, with everything that's happened since then, or that because these programs are in such different spots that the animus that has long festered between the rivals and seemed to reach a boiling point last year has like almost subsided. I don't, I don't know. I, I, and I don't know if that's even where we want to start or if you want to go just sort of walk us through uh, what, what, what you've seen with Michigan state that has caused them to go two and four, two and five, two and four now, and to to get to get to this point. So again, this is why I said I was taking the show off, Reiner. So I'm gonna the, the floor is yours. Um, the temperature of the rivalry has definitely cooled since the uh, tunnel incident last year. I mean, I got after the, right after that, I mean, both both programs were uh, basically furious with one another, and or uh, were out to. Uh, exact as much pain on each other as possible, it seemed. Uh, now it seems like because Michigan State has been in a steady free fall, uh, not, not just before, um, I mean, not, not just because of the Mel Tucker uh, firing, but even before that, I mean, it's been a slow, steady slide into the abyss for them. And so I think, yeah, it's been, it's kind of, uh, killed off some of the uh, animus that would have existed because I think MSU is just down in the dumps right now. And 
you know, unfortunately their, their program is kind of, uh, again, experienced a significant regression largely because of bad coaching, uh, the uncertainty at the quarterback position, you know, I mean, a defense that is just not quite good enough and then terrible special teams, basically all the opposite things than Michigan has. Michigan's got pretty strong special teams. They've got an excellent defense. They don't, they have really good coaching and they've got a really good quarterback. And it's like all those things that Michigan has, Michigan state doesn't have right now. And uh, that's how you get to the position where MSU is, you know, two and four and, uh, it routinely shoots themselves in the foot. Um, you know, again, who knows if uh, Mel Tucker would have, you know, had this team in a better position. I don't know because, I mean, again, it was falling apart even when he was in charge. I mean, go back to that Indiana game where MSU frittered away uh, the lead and lost to a team that completed two passes. Uh, that was a huge, terrible to miss, loss. To miss a bowl game. Yeah, right. right, right, because of that. And then and then you get to the point now where, again, you have this situation where you're up 24 to 6 against Rutgers, and then you have one special teams blunder, another special teams blunder, some defensive breakdown, and then boom, you know, you're staring at a sudden deficit and uh, a soon-to-be loss. So, I mean, this is, this is Michigan State now. Uh, this is not the same Michigan State team from two years ago when they were going into a top 10 matchup and really uh, felt like it was on even footing with Michigan. Right. And that's, I mean, that's another reason that last year there was, I mean, such a fervor, right? Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, yes, Michigan state was down and like battling and fighting for bowl eligibility and Michigan looks like they were trying to go back to that second straight, second straight CFP. However, Michigan state had won the last time the teams had played, right? So Michigan still had to take Paul Bunyan back. Now, I mean, how long ago does that win feel in East Lansing, right? I mean, it might it might as well have been different. It feels like different programs. And you're talking about the opposites. Um, I mean, just looking at the numbers here, Michigan State, the second most turnovers in the country, uh, ranked 116th in penalties. Michigan has committed the fewest. So just everything you've done for seven weeks is going to – means you shoot yourself in the foot. And all Michigan does is capitalize – I mean, the boa constrictor thing, right? All they do is just – grip you and just suck the life out of you. Um, yeah. And so, and so I, I want to ask you one more question, if I may, Reiner, about the coaching, because I'm just, it's, I'm just perplexed because I mean, it's the same coaching staff that gets you up 24 to six at Rutgers. It's the same coaching staff that gets you up 16 to six at Iowa. I mean, they've had 28 points of leads in the fourth quarter. It's not like those were second quarter leads, right? Those were in the fourth quarter. Yeah, but that's so what I, are you doing for because, 45 minutes? And then, and just, I mean, I mean, it's, yes, a, part of coaching is mental weakness, but I mean, they're, they're doing like, it, there's some talent there. There is something right to at I, least I, be winning at some point. Well, that's right. There is talent, but I mean, again, these are breakdowns and that comes back to fundamentals. And if they're not being coached to do fundamentals, right. At some point it's going to go bust. And that's but how are you not being coached to do fundamentals? Who is not coached to do fundamental things? Who? Who? Well, I mean, it's clearly not translating to the players. I mean, I don't think the players are just going out there and you know, with the 
with, with and just uh, defying the coaching staff and making these errors. I mean, the errors are so commonplace that it has to come back to instruction. They're not taking care. I, of- I, I I don't I don't chalk up. I mean, and, I, and I'm not speaking for Michigan State. I'm speaking for the entire now. Th- maybe leaving uh, Noah Kim in as long as they did uh, was now that to to continue to turn the ball over. Now that's malpractice. But I mean, h- how many times did they fumble? They, I, I mean, they fumbled a couple times against Rutgers to give the ball. Like you you can't protect a f- a punter from fumbling the ball. Or, or or when uh, a, a dude is trying to, I think, was he trying to call a fair catch or just they were in an onside kick formation and then you return, like, there, there's not, I mean, and I, Ross Ells should have been fired a year ago. The, I'm, he's the last human I'm defending. I'm just saying, like, it's, it's like, well, I mean, the defense, players got to make plays. Oh, come on. I mean, the defensive scheme that Michigan State has had uh, has been a liability. I mean, they give up acreage of space to, teams a play off coverage against a team like Washington who's just going to you know throw into the you know the soft part of the zones and then going to run after the catch and sometimes they don't even they're not even in pursuit of uh the the players even if they're playing these kind of uh shell concepts and and such and so it it's a scheme situation it's coaching fundamentals they make so many errors i mean the penalties i mean it's 116 a, a team is usually defined also by their special teams and Michigan State's special teams have been bankrupt. And so uh, that's usually an ind- indication of good coaching is whether you have good special team. Michigan's had a very good special teams each of the last you know, three years. They have good coaching. Uh, Michigan State has had terrible special teams uh, during that period. They have bad coaching. It's pretty it's, – it's a, it's a strong correlation. It's why NFL teams look at that. Too. I mean, they have these. I have a friend who does these special teams rankings in the business, and there's coaches that look at that, and uh, because it's so important, and it's an indi- indicator of quality <laughs> coaching is whether you have good special teams. Because again, that's off. That's a very technical aspect of the game, and they're not taking care of that. I mean, they gave nailed up. It. You're, they you gave nailed it. it. I'm. I was not here to defend to defend Michigan State to defend the coach anything like that. You're the one who's seen it. I'm trying to make sense in my mind how you get multiple leads on the road against teams that are going to bowl games, not just fluky leads, but like you pretty consistently outplay them and then fall apart. Just uh, special teams, coaching, like, and I'm not saying you're doing it. it. It's just, it's lame excuse talk. And I want tangible, I mean, like, like if I were them, I would want tangible reasons why. You know, you see what I'm saying? Well, I mean, if you put together an inferior staff, you get inferior results. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. ultimately what happens. I mean, again, Michigan wasn't getting its best results. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh had to change up the staff, especially on the defensive side. I mean, they were getting their butt kicked by Ohio State. Uh, again, they had a very stubborn defensive coordinator who wanted to run man concepts. And, you know, Ryan Day was dialing up one man beater on crossers all the time. And it was killing Michigan. So what did Michigan do? They found a new defensive scheme, and they're not, and they're giving, and they play more zone now. And it's harder for Ohio State to uh, kill them on those same concepts. And so Michigan has had the upper hand in the last two years. They made the adjustment. They've got better coaches on staff, and it's translated to better results. And that's what Michigan State needs. They need a better coaching staff uh, because they're right now they're. 
they're a liability and it's hurting Michigan State, I think, you know? Certainly. However, now that you play devil's advocate, just I, I and I, I'm just looking into the numbers and did, they gave up like, I don't know how many yards of offense you were talking about to Washington, like five, six, seven hundred. I don't know how many of it was through the air, but a ton, right? Yeah. And even still, Michigan State is only giving up 219 yards per game through the air. I mean, there are like, like I'm just saying when I see some of these I mean, things, if you give up 500 yards in one game and less than, I don't, I don't know. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm saying all this to say they've had the lead in some games. They are, there are areas that's a, I mean, the two years before, weren't they worst in the nation? Are, are they not improved in past defense? You have to consider. I'm only saying that, hold on. I'm only saying that to say, is there any way, I'm trying to bring it back to Michigan. Is there any way Michigan can see any level of test at all? I don't think so. Because if you, if you consider the competition that Michigan state has faced, uh, especially at the quarterback position, Bert Emanuel Jr. Couldn't throw the ball downfield. The Richmond quarterback, I can't remember his name. It's really, he's an FCS level player. You know, uh, the Iowa, uh, Key McNamara got injured early in the game. They had to go to their backup, and it's Iowa. Come on. And then Gavin Wimsat uh, in a rainy environment in, in Piscataway. I mean, this is not exactly, I mean, they're not facing down, uh, you know, Mike McDaniel's uh, uh, Miami Dolphins here. I mean, it's like, or Kellen DeBoer. Oh, they did face Kellen DeBoer and they got shredded, you know, and it's like, uh, I mean, Talia Tagovailoa only threw for 233 yards. I, I'm just looking at the box score. I didn't. That's the, one, that's the one game I would give them credit for. Is so is, okay. So so and so Michael Penix has shredded the entire world. The mm-hmm. one time you faced a decent passer, you held him below his average. I'm just saying, is that something? I mean, maybe it's a little tougher for. I mean, and they, they forced. I think they're not. If, even though they forced all these turnovers. They're not at the bottom in turnover margin, or I don't think, because their defense has forced some. They forced a few against Rutgers yesterday. I don't know. Michigan's going to blow their doors off, Reiner. We all know this. I'm just trying to – I'm just – like, everyone has been spin zoning Michigan's schedule early on. I'm trying to say maybe this is an actual – like, M- Michael Barrett yesterday was asked if he's if they've faced adversity. He's like, I mean, we were down 7-0 today. Come on. Mm-hmm. Like, what about, like – on the road, down, without the ball, like nothing. Well, I, mean, I, mean, I, I, I don't think any of that's going to happen. Again, it's you know, it's possible MSU comes out and plays, you know, competent football at the early. Go- the problem is, is that it doesn't last, and that's that's the issue that goes back to coaching. That's when the fundamentals catch up to you. There's there's going to be some stupid error or some mind blowing mistake that they'll make that ends up shooting themselves in the foot, and that's been the common theme for Michigan State really going back to last season. I mean, they were they were making these kind of mistakes uh, throughout uh, 2022. I mean, this is just a cumulative uh, or an accumulation of what we've witnessed. It's just become more and more apparent over time that uh, this team is, hasn't been as well coached. And maybe, and again, if you go back to the 2021 season when they had it went, it went 11 and 2, they won a lot of close games and you know, maybe they the talent won out in this situation, and they were able to overcome some of their own sloppiness uh, in retrospect. And since then, they haven't been, and the talent hasn't been good enough to overcome the lack of fundamentals. It's true. I mean, event it 
And they were, I think, as things have shown from 2021, Kenneth Walker was uh, mighty important, right? Like, it's not. Well, I mean, like, like those fundamental issues were there then. But sometimes, I mean, eventually well, and, you, you and, win and, the one score games, you win on the margin. Like, you can't be fighting on that edge forever. And the opponent was making the mistake. Like, for instance, the, the funny thing about the Iowa loss with Michigan State was it was basically the same circumstances that helped them win the game against Nebraska in 2021. It was a, a poorly angled punt that led to a touchdown late, which allowed them to tie the game. And then they went on to win it in overtime. And against Iowa, it was they, a poorly angled punt. And then that allowed them to tie the game. Uh, and they went on, went on to win, or I guess they took the lead in that game. You know, and, on that touchdown, the Cooper to Gene punt return, but it's the same concept. They were the ones that were benefiting from the boneheaded mistake uh, in 2021. This time, they're the ones committing it. It's it's true, and and it feels like I mean, you would know better than most. It feels like it's happening a lot, and uh, there's no team you want to do that less against uh, than than Michigan. So, mm-hmm. is that a good place to leave this, Reiner? Because there's plenty more to get into about. The tunnel last year, obviously, and the ramifications around that. Mel Tucker, um, I mean, it's not like we're unaware that Mel Tucker, one of the 10 highest paid coaches in college football, was fired in the middle of the season, which has created this hellscape firestorm that is in East Lansing. Uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, just a continuation. I mean, they're all separate, but just it feels like just the latest in a long line of them. Right. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's that to get into. Uh, so much more to do, but I think that was a good place, uh, before your final thoughts. No, I, I agree. And I think it's, it's just bad times at East Lansing and really good times at Ann Arbor. And so it's not, it doesn't make for a, a very compelling game other than the fact that it is a rivalry and it is coming off the tunnel incident. Uh, and it's at night, which obviously is, uh, unprecedented in East Lansing for this kind of showdown. So, uh, so some of the circumstances are, uh, make, would make for an interesting game if the teams, uh, were kind of more on even footing, but that clearly is not the case. Right. Um, you never know, but, uh, sometimes it feels like you do. So, but either way, we will uh, talk to Jim Harbaugh on Monday, players on Tuesday, assistants on Wednesday. And after all of that, and we glean their insight, we will, uh, combine it, condense it, and then, uh, dispel it all out to you. Uh, so that's going to do it. Uh, thank you as always for listening to hail. Yes, please. If you could rate review, subscribe, uh, it does help us get on other platforms and get more eyeballs and more views. Um, and all my wonderful bosses, uh, who we need to thank always remind me, uh, to let you know that. So, uh, let's thank them in this time. That is executive uh, that is Editor-in-Chief uh, Nicole Avery Nichols, Executive Editor Anjanette Delgado, Sports Editor Kirkland Crawford, Audio Engineer Robin Chan, and Sports Editor and Producer of our show, Andrew Burkle. Um, it is Sunday afternoon right now, Reiner, so it's uh, now that the pod's over, it's time to watch the NFL and finish up the content. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk to everyone else uh, on Thursday.